the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles, the Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibit, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 Submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin BB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. $267,000. I'll shuttle for one dance with Domino. Any other Something we're making for the Americans. It's called a ghetto blaster. May I cut in? Play it again, Sam. Charming tune. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Bond Music. Six of the best, our ongoing series discussing the Bond movie soundtracks. And this month we return to the world of official soundtracks with a listen to the score from the 25th Eon movie. Daniel Craig's farewell tour in No Time to Die. I am, of course, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Some know me as Death Probe. I am here with my best friend for life, which sounds something like a prison sentence. It's Alan J. Porter. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Can I get an appeal on that? Yeah. <laughs> Over to, overruled. <laughs> oh, wait, sustained. I, you know what? I'm not good with legal terms. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. It's great to be back. And it's good to be back actually talking about a real movie score. Yeah, the side spinoff stuff we've been doing has been a lot of fun, but it's interesting that we have a real score that we ordered, you know, in the mail and we have these hard <laughs> copies of. It's very exciting, exciting times. Okay, this is the part of the show where I explain to the audience how six of the best works. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> long story short, Alan has the lead on this episode. So Alan is going to take us through some of the behind the scenes on the latest soundtrack, No Time to Die. And then we are going to each pick three of our favorite tracks. He gets to go first. So having looked ahead, I already know he took, uh, yeah, you know, you know, we'll get there. It, it, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll close out with a bonus track. And of course, we'll discuss the new main title song. So with that, this month, we wanted to do some decent research, which is exactly what I said to get up doing any work. I mean, I literally spend hours editing these shows while Alan contributes almost nothing. So I decided that Alan should take the lead. I think it was his turn anyway. And then all joking aside, Alan has done some great deep dive research. So he's got a lot of stuff for you. And I'm going to hand it to him. Take it away. Thank you. Actually, I was just saying to Jared, just before I, we started recording, I've literally just got off another podcast recording where we spent two and a half hours talking about No Time to Die. We do have a lot to cover today, but I don't think it's going to take us another two and a half hours. <laughs> hey, who are you cheating on us with? <laughs> Oh, I, I might be oh. Roger Moore Bond. I'll cheat on you with anybody. <laughs> any podcast out there. Yeah, any podcast that'll have me. Yeah. Uh, I see. All right. Yeah, yeah. 
No Time to Die. We all know after uh, a few hiccups along the way, the director ended up being Carrie Fukunaga. That's not easy to say. So shortly after Carrie Fukunaga was announced as the new director for Bond 25, which became obviously No Time to Die, back in July 2019, because that seems a long time ago, it was revealed that he'd chosen composer Dan Roma to develop the score. The two of them had previously worked together on a Netflix TV series called Maniac, which I must admit I have never seen, not familiar with. But what was interesting was about five months after that press release was put out, which I think was the only press release that had Dan Roma's name attached to it, No Time to Die sort of seemed to disappear from the list of Dan Roma's upcoming projects. He was never officially said to have left, but it believed that there was the good old standby of creative differences, whatever those differences were, we don't know. But what was interesting was within about a month, we had a new composer named, but we'll get to that. Because I've actually often wondered what would a Dan Roma score have sounded like? According to some sources I've read, I'm not familiar with his work, but according to some sources I've read, he's known for his, quote, ability to approach scores from highly original angles, whatever that means. So I'm sure it would have been different. So what I did is I actually went out and tried to find an orchestral track from the Maniac soundtrack. And that might have given us an indication of what a Dan Roma Bond score might have sounded like. The track I found is called Inner Demons. And maybe do you want to give it a quick whirl, Jared, and we'll listen to a piece of Dan Roma's work. All right, let's give a listen to this little Dan Roma and what might have been. So what did you think about that, Jared? Oh, it had a lot of potential. It sounded good. It didn't, because I was nervous about the highly original angles. I had a very uh, Eric Serra feeling (laughs) feeling about that. But that orchestral soundtrack uh, that we just listened to, I I mean, that could have fit into a Bond movie. So, I mean, the potential was there, certainly. What about you, Alan? I did cheat a bit and really search for the one that I thought was closest to a Bond stuff. If you listen to the rest of the Maniac soundtrack, you'll definitely know where the original Angles quote comes from because it's, it's very interesting stuff, but I didn't think it was very soundtracky. 
this one I thought was the closest to what would be more of a traditional orchestral sounding soundtrack. So again, I think it would have been an interesting experiment. Uh, would have fit No Time to Die, the movie, as we eventually got it? I don't think so. I don't think he was the right choice for that, given the other stuff of his I've listened to. But anyway, so with Dan Roma mysteriously gone through creative differences, um, it was a question of who would replace him. And the first name that actually surfaced was a Scottish composer, Lorne Balfi, I think it's pronounced, who recently did the score for Black Widow and has actually done the score for Mission Impossible Fallout and is doing the score for the next two Mission Impossible movies. So I'm guessing Tom Cruise was keeping him a bit busy and he was not available for Bond. But he obviously knows his spy stuff. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't keep getting hired by Tom Cruise, I guess. <laughs> so the next name to surface was the one whose name was released a month after Dan Romer's name disappeared. And that was Hans Zimmer. It was announced in January 2020 that he was confirmed as the new composer. This is the first time in Bond history that a composer has been replaced post-production. So uh, very unusual. So whatever those creative differences were, they must have been pretty big ones. So I think for most of us, Hans Zimmer needs little introduction. Since the 1980s, he's scored over 150 movies. A large proportion of them are really tempo blockbusters, we all know, with very memorable scores. Things like Gladiator, Pirates of the Caribbean, the Dark Knight trilogy, and, and lots more. Looking him up, he's received four Grammy Awards, three Classic Brit Awards, two Golden Globes, an Academy Award, and he also heads the film music division for DreamWorks. So I, I think he knows his stuff. So an interesting choice for Bond. I will say in general, I like his stuff. I have quite a few of his soundtracks in my CD collection. Old guy actually has physical media. Yes, I do have CD rack. Conversely, I, I know some movie fans and some of my friends are sort of blaming for the generic action movie sound of recent years and are not a big fans of his but uh, really it's up to you if you're not that familiar with Hans Zimmer's stuff and you have a good four hours to spare I can highly recommend the excellent introduction to Hans Zimmer discography episode that our friends at the 00 files podcast put together when Zimmer was first announced it's well worth a listen and uh, we will put a link in the show notes to that episode of the 00 files one of the cool things I did find out recently is listening to the official no Time to Die podcast series. They did a, a short promotional podcast series. It's about six episodes. Uh, I think it's episode four is The Music of Bond One, which is interviews with Hans Zimmer and Billie Eilish and other folks involved. Zimmer comes out of that as a self-confessed Bond fan. He's a big John Barry fan. He also name-checks David Arnold a lot of time. He gets right down into the minutiae of the Barry soundtracks and who played on what and what they use. So he, he's a Bond geek, which was great to hear. You actually also veers away from the PR stuff and actually talks quite honestly about the gig and how he got it and his approach and stuff. So I uh, highly recommend listening to the Music of Bond episode. And again, we'll, we'll put that link in the show notes if you haven't heard it yet. But the influences he mentioned, the, the David Arnold, John Barry, is clearly heard throughout the soundtrack, as I'm sure we'll talk about once we get into our picks. The interesting thing is that Zimmer also, pretty much every interview I've read with him, he name checks his composing partner, Steve Mazzaro, even though... Hans Zimmer is the name on the album cover. I think it's pretty clear that Steve Mazzaro actually did most of the heavy lifting for the No Time to Die score. Mazzaro actually got an unprecedented score produced by credit on the movie opening titles, which I was delighted to see. And the movie title has actually said music by Hans Zimmer, score produced by Steve Mazzaro, which I thought was cool. Another key element of Zimmer's score was the introduction of guitarist Johnny Marr from my hometown who to uh, give the score that classic uh, Vic Flick guitar sound as and when it was needed. He added the twang, as it were. And there was also the British vocal ensemble London Voices provided the choral effects throughout 
the soundtrack. And of course, we get some nice callbacks to some of our favorite John Barry things. And again, we'll talk about that. So the soundtrack album consists of 21 tracks. If you've got a vinyl version, there are four additional short tracks labeled very imaginatively Q1 through Q4. But to be honest, having listened to them, they don't really add much. They really feel just like bits that they're being clipped and left on the cutting room floor that they threw on the album. But uh, the main 21-track CD is out there. The score was eventually released on the 30th of September, which, of course, for the UK meant it was just after the movie opened. For us, it meant it was a week before the movie opened, which meant my CD and vinyl versions arrived before the movie opened in the US. And I resisted the temptation to actually play them. I actually wanted to listen to it as part of the movie. And I think you were the same, Jared, weren't you? You, you Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. we both were sending each other pictures of, hey, here's my stuff. It's arrived. And now we have to wait. Yeah, stay <laughs> in the wrapping. It. It's, yeah, it's even staying with the uh, flat down so I can't read the track list on the back. So. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, listening to it in the movie, I was blown away by it. I thought it was great. Wonderful score as part of the movie. I will say now, having listened to it as an isolated soundtrack, I'm not quite as enamored with it as I was in the movie, if that makes sense. Don't get me wrong, I think it's still good. I've definitely continued to give it multiple replays. I was playing it this morning. But I think Zimmer comes in behind Barry, obviously, and even David Arnold on this one. Prior to yesterday, I would have said if I was going to listen to a Hans Zimmer track, I would have pulled Gladiator out of my CD rack. But having seen June yesterday, I really loved his score for that movie too. So I liked the No Time to Die score. I thought as part of the movie, it was brilliant as a standalone soundtrack. Not quite so good, but still good, if that makes sense. Having eventually seen the movie and taken the shrink wrap off the CD, what did you think, Jared? Very similar thoughts to you, Alan. I originally discovered Hans Zimmer on a soundtrack CD I bought when I was in high school to the movie called Cool Runnings about the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> awesome <laughs> movie. I love that movie. Is that Hans Zimmer score? I didn't realize yeah, it was it's one. Of, uh, okay. It's got to be one of his early things. The soundtrack has a lot of really peppy and fun, like reggae sounding songs from Jamaica. And then he does the orchestrated stuff, especially that big scene at the end where they carry the sled across, very emotional. Oh, it's fantastic. That's how I discovered Hans Zimmer. So, like, anytime I see his name, my first thought is Jamaican bobsled team, cool runnings, which is a weird association, but I like him a lot. And so when I saw he was taking over the James Bond realm, I was like, okay, I wasn't too worried. I have a theory, Alan, that Dan Romer, being famous for putting new angles on things, probably wanted to avoid James Bondy cliche music cliche i put in air quotes because it makes us happy when <laughs> cliche music happens i suspect he wanted to be a little too creative i su- that i have nothing to back that up but i feel like if that's his reputation we had ourselves a very eric sarah situation that's what i suspect and then i think zimmer comes along and says hey oh gosh i love bond music yeah i'll lean totally into this and give you some interesting sounds and no paperwork to back it up that's how i feel because that's how i feel the soundtrack came out overall I agree with you. I think it was really, really strong in the film. As I sat there and watched it, one of my mental notes was, hey, this soundtrack is really good. And then when I listened to it by itself, there are a couple of tracks 
that are really good that you stole them all. So overall, yeah, Alan, I agree with you. I think it plays really well in with the film, but does it blow me away like Barry soundtracks have? It does not. I'd say the last time I was just truly wrapped up into a score would probably be Living Daylights. And then I liked a lot of the stuff that David Arnold did. I knew you'd get Living Daylights into you this. I knew I would. Yeah. <laughs> this to me reminds me of an Arnold soundtrack. Those are the ones that I like, but they don't wrap me up like the Barry ones do. And I think if I'm going to put them in the same camp as Arnold, that's got to be a compliment. Yeah. Uh, I think so, so that's, that's where yeah. I'm at. Very much so. Oh, by the way, this is a complete sidetrack, but any folks out there, uh, if you're thinking of ordering the vinyl, word of warning, do not order the Amazon Gold Edition, which is what I ordered. It looks lovely. It's a really bad quality pressing full of scratches and clicks. I thought it was just mine. I put something on Twitter today saying, hey, I've noticed I'm getting these clicks and weird noises and pops on the gold vinyl version. Is it just me? And based on the mass number of very quick responses I got, it is not just me. It seems to be an overall issue with the quality of the gold. I don't know whether it's the gold vinyl. So if, hmm. if, if you're going to get a vinyl, get the regular one, get the white vinyl. Don't get the gold vinyl because it appears to be a, a quality issue. So that was your public service announcement for bond collectors <laughs> uh, and audiophiles, which is a real shame because it actually looks lovely, but is annoying when you get the little clicks and pops hmm. and things throughout it. Follow-up question to that, Alan. Mm-hmm. Am I crazy or did you mention to me that this album is also available on cassette? Did you? Is yes. That- yeah, there's a gold cassette version, yes. Oh, man, I'm going to have to hunt that down. <laughs> As we're back with an official soundtrack, and hopefully you've got one that sounds good, that also means we're back with an official theme song. Timing again was a f- factor in the reception of this song because it was released on the 13th of February 2020. So well over a year ago, almost two years ago, in anticipation of the original release date of the Carrie Fukunaga version of No Time to Die, as opposed to the original release date of the Danny Boyle version of No Time to Die, which is... Anyway, <laughs> I got lost on all the release dates for this movie. <laughs> so originally the song was to be released, it was released on the 13th of February 2020 in anticipation of the uh, release date. So it was sort of in play, for want of a better phrase, for around 18 months before the movie opened. So the early release meant it was eligible for a lot of last year's awards and it won a Grammy for Best Songwriter for Visual Media. I think they used to call that the Grammy for Best Movie theme, but apparently it's got a longer, weird title now. So it, it won a Grammy six months before actually anybody had seen it. <laughs> it's still mind-blowing to me. So as well as being the first Bond song to win an award before the movie opened, it's also sung by the youngest performer ever to sing a Bond theme, Billie Eilish, who was just 18 when she recorded the song. Uh, which was co-written with her brother and producer, Phineas O'Connell. The two were, again, Bond fans, which is great. Even though they were young, they were Bond fans. And had actually played around with developing some Bond-like tunes at different stages earlier in their career. Again, they discussed this on the aforementioned Music of Bond official podcast episode, uh, which I recommended earlier. To say that the announcement of Billie Eilish as the next Bond theme artist was met with mixed reactions is probably a bit of an understatement. I like one quote that she was generally viewed as, quote, the world's most melancholic teenage pop star. You know, she's probably best known for her intimate whispered vocals rather than the bombastic style of a traditional Bond opener. I must admit, I hadn't listened to much of her stuff. I did know the song Bad Guy because my daughter likes it and my granddaughters like it. And at the time of her announcement, the Colbert TV show produced a brilliant parody of what they thought a Billie Eilish Bond song would sound like based on the hit Bad Guy. Um, so do you want to hit that 
Jared, it, it's a couple of seconds long, isn't it? It's like twenty seconds long. It's yeah, it's very short. Let's let's definitely give that a listen. enjoy that <laughs> of course of course it's a shame this is a podcast i definitely encourage you guys to go watch the video the the video accompaniment makes it even funnier yeah it was good it was it was a nice thing so my understanding is having read the script and seen an early version of the before the credit sequence and uh, the brother and sister duo turned out the song and i think it's got some interesting powerful lyrics i like it as a song and then you can definitely tell that uh, they had input from Hans Zimmer, Steve Mazzaro, and there's a touch of Johnny Marr guitar at the end. Some people feel it's a bit obviously placed. I think it actually works. That's personal opinion. The one thing we can say about the theme tune for No Time to Die is it was unexpected. It was different. So let's give it a listen, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk a bit more about it. Just no time 
So, Jared, can you remember what that chord at the end was called? Oh, dang it. I knew that was going to be a test later. G major, E flat, something. I don't know. What was it? I can't remember either. <laughs> we are terrible music of Bond show. <laughs> I have to go back to listen to the last, the last episode to figure out what. <laughs> it's the Bond chord. Anyway, so Jared didn't actually have to go out and buy an extra copy. Um, mm-hmm. This one was actually included on the soundtrack album, um, mm-hmm. which we've not had for a while. The interesting thing is on the soundtrack album, instead of placing it up front, which they've normally done with the theme songs, it's actually placed as the last track. Mm-hmm. And I find listening to the soundtrack isolated, it worked really well at the end, which made me wonder whether they could have maybe done that with the movie, even though the ending was very powerful with the song that was used, and we'll talk about that, as to whether this could have been maybe an over-the-end credit. They started with an instrumental, and but mm-hmm. when you listen to the lyrics, it's very clear that the lyrics are written around the pre-credit sequence, so I'm probably just making up stupid ideas, but I just find on the soundtrack album, it works really well as the last track. Like I said, I really like this. Jill and I both like it as a song, and I think it worked well as a Bond song. Another one of our co-hosts thinks very differently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Jared? I haven't heard your thoughts about it, because I know you you managed to not listen to it for like 18 months, which blows my I mind did. that you managed to avoid it for that long. <laughs> I did. I heard it for the first time in the theater. I guess I'll be the hot take guy in that I thought, it was maybe the most unremarkable James Bond song I've ever heard. Like it was just very, very, here's a term I made up Alan called wallpaper music. And <laughs> that's good. I think I'll borrow that. one. Yeah. Borrow that. If you like unremarkable is the word I keep coming back to with it. It just does nothing for me. I mean, it's not the bottom rung. Sam Smith still lives on the bottom rung of my ladder. <laughs> but uh it's just there you know i don't like to just tear things down without saying something good so i will agree with you that i think the lyrics aren't bad and its mood kind of fits the movie but i don't know alan it just seems to me that as i think back over the history of bond theme songs i can only think of one time where they went, hey, let's get a title song by a group or a person that the kids really like. And it actually worked. And that would probably be Duran Duran in 1985. Mm-hmm. Every other 
time they try that, it gets less than stellar reviews, I feel like. And I don't know. To me, maybe it's because I'm old and I'm just what you call a traditional Bond fan. But to me, you should seek out someone who's paid their dues. I don't know. That's how it feels to me. Whenever they do that, when they get a Bassey or a Tina Turner or a Gladys Knight or Paul McCartney or people who have paid their dues for some reason just seem to to last. I mean, Duran Duran, they kind of got away with it. They kind of did the poppy thing with Lulu, and it's not a highly regarded song, even though in the end, I kind of like all these songs to an extent. I don't know, man. It just feels like every time they chase a younger sound, it's just not for me. No, that's fine. I think it's a grower. I've been listening to it a lot over the last 18 months and got to really like it a lot more. You've only heard it for the first time. So it may be one that grows. It may not. Yeah, I mean, I can honestly say that the first time I heard the Sam Smith one, I outright hated it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you on that. <laughs> and, I, and over time, like, again, that's another song where I can appreciate the lyrics and I really like the music behind it. So I don't hate it anymore. Like, I'm like, okay, it's just not, it's just, not my favorite by far. And that's where I'm at with this one right now. I mean, I, I don't outright hate it, but it just, it's so unremarkable. It just, there's nothing to it that really makes it stand out for me. And I guess no, I've said it like fits it. the tone of the movie and I love the lyrics and I think it works well. Yeah. So. I, I did agree to that though. I do think it fits the tone. Well, and I think the lyrics are good. So yeah. uh, we, we can find common ground there for certain. Okay. Fair enough. During my research, I actually came across a video that's entitled How Billy Eilish Created the Perfect James Bond Theme, which you may not agree with the title. Clearly, Jared does not. But it is actually a fascinating breakdown of the previous 24 Bond themes to discover the regular themes and tropes of what makes a Bond song. And then it looked at how they'd been applied to the No Time to Die theme song. And it includes input from the much-referenced on this show, John Birmingham, mm, or the music of Bond. Uh, it's well worth checking out. And again, I've added it to this episode's YouTube playlist uh, if you want to go look it up. Just to give you the uh, the short answer, basically, the No Time to Die theme does include all the touch points that make a classic Bond song. I don't believe you. Well, go look it up. <laughs> I refuse to watch the video. It's science. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting. It's not often that you and I disagree about a theme song. So uh, No, no, it's yeah. not. And again, I don't hate it. It's not the bottom of the rung. But okay. uh, maybe it'll grow on me over time, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just so unremarkable. There's nothing about it that grabs me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, we'll move on to our actual picks from the soundtrack. So my pick, number one, is going to be track two, uh, Matera, which I'm thinking, judging by somebody's facial expression, um, <laughs> they wanted to pick. This track just sets up the whole movie, and it includes a, a callback to... Uh, it's not a cliche Bond thing, Jared. It's a callback, okay? Yeah, I used the wrong word earlier. <laughs> Includes a great callback to that theme, which I think we'll discuss after we've played it. We all know what was coming. It still gave me the chills. Let's listen to it, and then we'll talk about it. And we'll talk a bit about the inclusion of that theme.
Yeah. So what do you think about the inclusion of the it's all the time in the world theme in there? Oh, man. That was like just magic when I heard it sitting there in the theater. I mean, we both talked about how we want to hear the 007 theme. Didn't get it in this one, but <laughs> definitely made it up with some awesome homages to Majesties. And it was just woven in so well. I had two feelings when I heard it in the theater. I was like, oh, man, you know, my Bond nerd just kind of exploded. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I love that. And then the other thought that I immediately had after that was, well, someone's definitely dying at the end of this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet I know who it is. <laughs> yeah, Jill elbowed me in the side and said, that wasn't a good sign. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh, it's so beautiful and sweet, but that it does um, dark portend, my friend. <laughs> Going back to this Matera track, I, I think it's great. I think it sets up the whole movie. It really does. I loved the segue from the Zimmer Mazero stuff. I'm going to call him sort of Hans Mazero as we go forward rather than that. <laughs> I'm stealing that from the guys at James Bond Complex I was just talking to because one of them said that and I thought it was great. The transition from the No Time to Die score into All the Time in the World was beautifully done. I thought it was beautifully handled. The way it just gradually built, I thought was fantastic. I know a lot of people have problems with this in No Time to Die, saying it devalues the Tracy moment and stuff like that. I can sort of see where that's coming from, but I actually thought it works beautifully. And let's face it, 99% of the people sat in the movie theater have got no idea what that piece of music means. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what that phrase, we've got all the time in the world, means. And it's a nice romantic phrase, and it's a lovely romantic piece of music. So 99% of the people sat in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, some people are getting upset about the fact that we're referencing something from over 50 years ago. <laughs> you know? They're not gonna, most people don't know what that song means from 1969. In fact, in the UK, that song is most known for a beer commercial. The reason that that song went to number one in 1994 has got nothing to do with Honor Majesty's Secret Service or James Bond. It was because it was used for a Guinness beer commercial. Hmm. So, you know, like I said, to 99% of the people in the world, that's just a beautiful piece of music that fits the moment. We know what it means, the Bond geeks. Me, I thought it was a beautiful moment. I thought it was a great callback. I loved the fact that they, as you said earlier, they leaned in to using those callbacks. And there was many visual callbacks as well, which I haven't heard people complaining about. Mm. You know, I haven't heard anybody complaining about the Delectalo cigars. means that, uh, you know, they're ruining the moment and die another day. (laughs) You know, so using a a musical callback that, you know, means something to the very small amount of us that are are deep into the franchise, but actually works really well for the vast majority of the audience I've got no problem with. And I'm going to get off my soapbox about people complaining about the majesties. (laughs) <laughs> because I loved them and it gave me chills and I thought it was great. So No, I agree with you. I enjoyed it too. I really did. I thought it fit, like we said, the tone of the movie and um, I got a little giddy and giggly when I heard it. So why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very, it was a very emotional moment. Whether you knew what it meant or whether you didn't, it would beautifully either way. Unless, of course, it made you think of a pint of Guinness, which was completely the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to my track number two. Uh, mm-hmm. and- uh, and this was, I guess, somebody else's second pick. Too. Um, <laughs> it would have been my first pick. But. Okay. So this is the track. Good to have you back. And I'm stealing another callback from Majesties. But I got first pick on this episode. You asked me to take first pick and do the research. So I get the first pick. So yeah, fair enough. Again, I've heard people complaining this is an action cue from Majesties, but they used it for a scene where basically it's just Bond and M talking. For me, it really hit me because I realized in the movie, this is the point where Bond is no longer retired. This is the point where Bond 
is actually back working for Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, see what I did there? And it was another moment that gave me chills. Let's listen to it and uh, just enjoy the moment. You know, I'll take any excuse to play any version of the Majesty's theme <laughs> on this show anyway. <laughs> All right, Gary, what do you think of that? That was perfect. It's beautiful. When I heard it in the movie again, giggly, happy. It's just, I love that piece of music. It's so James Bond. I love the smooth, slow version of it. It is the number one track on this CD for me. Did you have any problem about where it fit in the movie, that it was basically a static scene of two guys talking with this running? No, it didn't really bother me. I'm just happy to hear it again. And the somber, slower version of it, I felt fit the moment, uh, a quiet moment. Mm -hmm. So no, no problems with it. Just really happy to have that piece of music. Just happy that it exists. I will say one of the things that I hope comes out of the fact that people are talking about the fact that the soundtrack calls back to Majesties and the movie calls back to Majesties is that folks who are not Bond fans who maybe hear that, or even some Bond fans who've never seen Majesties, actually use that as a trigger to go back and actually look and watch on a Majesty's Secret Service and really start to appreciate that movie more. I know there's some of us who really appreciate it. You know, I hope that a lot of this conversation opens up people to actually going and checking out on a Majesty's Secret Service again. I watched it last weekend, but it's because I was doing my the every year I wrap my Christmas presents, and that's the movie I have on the background when I'm wrapping Christmas presents. So that's why I have. <laughs> but, but to add on to that, Alan, even if it's around the music, even if it gets people to just go like listen to the soundtrack of Majesties, yeah, heck, heck yeah, you and I, I think are in agreement that Majesties may be the best soundtrack yeah. score that Barry ever put together. So yes. yeah, yep. 100% agree with that. All right. So my third pick does not have a callback to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Thinking if my first pick set up the movie, if Matera sets up the movie, I think for me, this one really bookends the movie. And basically, it's track 18. I'll be right back. And if any character says, I'll be right back, you know he ain't making it. Uh-uh. Um, so it's a good summary of the movie. I think it's a good combination of the action-related themes. And it weaves in the theme tune medley. And it's been a long time since we've had that happen. Whatever you think of the theme song, it was great to hear the No Time to Die theme medley being woven into the scores. I love that. Again, that's Zimmer and Mazzaro leaning into the way that John Barry and David Arnold did their scores. 
this particular track is a great example of that. So this is uh, track 18. I'll be right back.
So what do you rank for that one? Oh, it's high energy and high stakes, just like the scene that it comes from. Again, maybe I need to hear the song a few more times, but I did not notice that no time <laughs> song leaved in there because, again, I just I haven't found anything that is noticeable and remarkable about it yet, but we've covered that ground. We don't need to repeat ourselves. That song, though, I'll Be Right Back, was on my list of songs to pick from. Had you not picked it, very well might end up on mine. I thought it was really good, high energy, and again, like I said, a high-stakes song for a high-stakes moment. So basically you're saying my three picks were going to be your three picks. Possibly, yes. Although I do have a couple that I really, I'm glad that were left behind because there's some things I wanted, some nods I wanted to give. Well, I think that seems like a good point for Jared to say that he'll be right back with his three picks. All right, well, let's get into my three picks. My first pick is track number nine off the soundtrack. It is called... Cuba Chase. Now, if you remember back to our Die Another Day episode, you know I like a little bit of the Latin-flavored music. It spices things up. So, of course, I picked a Latin-flavored track, but it's a very complete track. It has an ominous intro, which I know Alan's going to love, that leads to a high-energy adventure music where the Latin flavor begins to mix in. And then halfway through the track, right about the halfway mark, there's a really strong Latin flavor to it that they mix in. And then at three minutes and 45 seconds, you get that very bold. And I love it. It's that, dun, 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 you know, just that big, bold Bond sound. But they mix Cuban flavor into that, too. So I really thought that was really clever. And then I want you guys to listen to the very, very, very tail end at the five minute and 14 second mark. And I swear there's a little hint of the spy who loved me right there at the end. Let me know if you hear it. Let's give it a listen.
You hear that? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. Da, da, da. Like right when he goes off the cliff. Yeah. Yes. Bond seventy-seven. Yeah. All right. Aha! <laughs> I swear, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yep. Oh, so anyways, coming back from that, Alan. You can't poo-poo that song. That song is too much fun. <laughs> That's it's a great track, and Jared has convinced me. Yes, there is a little bit of when he said from the spy who loved me. I didn't pick it up, but just listen to it again. It's Bond seventy-seven. There's that da 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 at yeah. the end, which is dun, Bond seventy-seven. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't picked that out before, so uh, yeah, that's cool. I like to think they did it on purpose. I, I, oh, I'm sure they did. There is, there are so many. We have not talked about it, but you know, right at the beginning, there's the callback to Vespa's theme and things, and there's other callbacks in the score as well. It's not just the Majesty's callbacks. There is multiple mm. other callbacks in there. All right, let's get into track number two from my selections, which is actually track ten on the the CD. It's called "Back to MI6." It has another ominous start, which I know Alan's going to love. And then it comes into some really gorgeous 007 music. Just really lush, really full of berry. Track 10, back to MI6. Go ahead, Alan. There's nothing to say, really, is there? It's just... <laughs> like you said, if they'd have just put the 007 theme in there as well, it would have been perfect. But that that's great. And I, I love the way they actually used it in the movie, played into the, the joke moment where the guy on the reception desk didn't know who Bond was. We got the whole big build-up with the theme. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's John Barry 007 or James Bond theme, so... Uh, with the new Vic Flick guy, whose name I've forgotten from earlier in the show. Johnny Marr. <laughs> Johnny Marr. Awesome. Yeah, Back to My Six is just a ton of fun. And you know what? Speaking of a ton of fun, if you're going to start a movie off, you got to start a movie off right. If you're going to start a Bond movie off, eh, you probably should have a gun barrel. And the gun barrel is track one on the CD, and it's my third and final pick. And even though, Alan, there was no blood in the gun barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I noticed so many things in this movie, and I did not notice there was no blood in the gun barrel. Even though I saw the movie twice, it didn't click with me until I heard people talk about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, there wasn't. (laughs) That was a sticking point for a lot of people. Yeah, I know it was, yeah. It's not a sticking point. I mean, I know we're not talking about the movie. It's not a sticking point for me. I just like, I don't know. I just, I'd prefer it with blood because that's how I'm used to. But 
At least you didn't get the bullet coming back down the barrel towards you. Mm, good point. <laughs> <laughs> good point and it was a it was a gun barrel at the beginning of a daniel craig movie so i'm gonna take it so. yeah i'll take it and you know what let's listen to the music that goes along with it again gun barrels track one i think it does a great job of mixing in the heaviness of the film that you're about to watch with the bond fun and flair i think it's a very appropriate gun barrel for this film again i'm not a fan of the blood removal but eh, i'm just not gonna be the hill i'm gonna die on Let's listen to this gun barrel. This is a short piece of music, but I think you'll hear both the heaviness of the movie you're about to watch with some of the fun of the movie you're about to watch mixed in together, which is a hard thing to do, but I think they pull it off. Let's give it a listen. All right, Alan, what do you think of that gun barrel? I love it. It's a great gun barrel music. Again, it's playing back, call back to traditional gun barrel. I know I've heard a few people say, you know, hey, move on from the 1960s guitar twang, but I love the 1960s guitar twang. I think for me, that's Hmm. the only way to end it. I've heard a couple of things about the lack of blood. One of the things I've heard, and I don't know if it's right or not, is that it was basically a issue in terms of getting the rating because they wanted it Hmm. to be... The movie, whatever it is, is a, I think it's a twelve in the UK. They couldn't use the if they used the blood in this in the opening scene because things have changed over the last however many years in terms of what's allowed and what isn't. That removing the blood allowed them to keep the rating level down because if you actually think about it, there's actually not a lot of blood. Even you know when certain people get shot, you don't necessarily see a lot of blood or anything like that. It's sort of implied rather than shown. I heard, and I don't know if it's right, but that one of the reasons they didn't have the blood in the gun barrel was to keep the rating level down. Okay. Well, we're talking about things we heard and that makes sense too, especially for the European release. Cause I know European cinema tends to be a little more sensitive to violence than American yeah. cinema. Whereas American cinema is more sensitive to sex than yeah. European cinema. Yeah. It's kind of a weird switch there. What I'd heard, and this goes back to my video game research and documentary. I I've heard, I cannot substantiate, but I've heard that, a lot of it's Barbara and Barbara is really becoming very sensitive to the violent side of James Bond. And she's not as big on that. And that's why we haven't gotten a James Bond video game release where you can actually, you know, go around and shoot people and you know, that kind of thing since the one on the Wii U, which was like 2000 and uh, top of my head, I want to say it's like 12 or something like that. The point being that every game that's come out since then it hasn't even been a game proper. It's been like a driving game downloadable pack for this or a driving game downloadable pack for that or a card game there's been no violent bond game since then rumor mill says that barbara doesn't like super violent bond and that's why that is but i can't substantiate that no i think they both fit like i said total rumors things i've heard no documentary evidence 
on either of those, but yeah, welcome to the the rumor section, the uh, yeah. the tabloid supermarket <laughs> section of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, if you've heard anything about it or you have something substantial, we'd love to know about it. You can share it with us on Twitter at OHMS Pod, or you can email us at OHMS Pod at Outlook.com. Yeah, if anybody does know the real reason there's no blood on the, on the gun barrel, I'd love to hear it. Oh, all right. I guess this is the point of the show where we need to rate this at a one to seven based on how much it should be in a Bond fan's library. Uh, it's, a, it's a bond score, so it's a seven, right? <laughs> it's a seven, it own... <laughs> But don't get the gold vinyl. Thank you. I was going to say, but don't get the Amazon gold vinyl special. Sorry, Amazon. Bad, I, bad product. About to get very serious about getting the cassette. I'll have to get back to you on that to see uh, yeah. what I think about that since I am kind of a cassette guy. Recently was reunited with the A View to a Kill soundtrack on cassette. Uh, I saw that, yes. <laughs> as a very generous listener gave that to me. And oh man, that was my very first Bond score on cassette. So it brought back a lot of memories. And I popped it in my cassette player out in my building. And I really enjoyed it. So shout out to uh, He Who Dares Wins is how he goes by on Twitter. And uh, shout out to him. Thank you so much. That, that's very generous. Thing. So actually, I'm going to do a quick, this is probably a bit of a mailbag social media follow-up, but somebody posted the other day that uh, I think it was on Facebook, on the Musical Bond Facebook group, that they just bought the Jeff Love bonding. <laughs> I <laughs> saw it. that. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. We covered that on the show. And I put up a comment with the show notes. And he was like, well, yeah, actually, I subscribed to the show. And the reason I bought it was because you guys covered it. So uh, I thought that was wonderful. And, and it was nice to hear. And I apologize to him for actually having a negative impact on his wallet because he'd gone out and bought several Jeff Love albums. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was great to hear. If you're listening, thanks for that. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. And uh, I hope you enjoy uh, reconnecting with Jeff Love. Yeah, so rating it, I think, yeah, it's a seven. Yeah, you should own it. You yeah. should own it. And and I do want to give another shout-out, a tip to cap, something you mentioned earlier in the show. They included the theme song on the soundtrack, yes. which I think is good. Okay, which actually brings us to another point, which I was going to talk about earlier, and I obviously don't read my own script because I'm, I zoomed right past it. The theme song is on there, but the song is not. What do you mean? All the time in the world is not on the soundtrack album even though they play the full song at the end of the movie. Ooh, that's how they get you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm wondering, again, I don't know the reason for that. Maybe they felt it was too much of a spoiler to put it on the soundtrack album, mm. uh, even though, I don't know, or they don't ha- didn't have the rights to put, but even though they used it, the Louis Armstrong vocal version in the movie. So I was just wondering why it wasn't on the soundtrack. I have no idea why it's not on the soundtrack. Couldn't get the rights from Guinness. Yeah, couldn't get the rights from Guinness. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> So if anybody, again, if anybody listening knows why it's not on the soundtrack for either legal reasons or a decision was meant, you know, why it's missing from the soundtrack album, I'd love to know. You hadn't noticed it was missing, had you? Not until you said something. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for the bonus track. And as Jared doesn't like the song, he's probably not going to like the bonus track, but whatever. The bonus track sucks. (laughs) 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 So... The interesting thing was almost as soon as the Billie Eilish theme song was released, we started to see covers pop up. I actually started building this playlist 18 months ago. I think I found the first cover version within like a week of the song being released. So again, that actually may be why I appreciate it slightly more than you do, because I've heard a lot of other different interpretations of it over the last 18 months too, and grown to appreciate it as a song as well as for mm, Billie Eilish. You know, that's um, fair because using the Sam Smith example, once again, we both found different versions that we liked yeah. of the Sam Smith song. Yeah. 
so one of the ones that I was actually really quite surprised with is a well-known Welsh classical singer, Ellen Williams, who did one uh, version of it. And it's a very operatic interpretation of No Time to Die. So uh, let's have a listen to that.
So what do you think of that Aria version? Actually, I really like it. I admitted to you as we were recording, listening to it as we were recording, it was the first time I'd ever heard it. As I forgot to click on that hyper. You sent too many hyperlinks on this one. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really good. Like, all right, it's going to sound like a slam on Billie Eilish. Maybe it was nice to hear it actually sung and not just kind of mumble whispered <laughs> to me. No, I get, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. I was not familiar with Ellen Williams. She clearly has a strong operatic voice. Watching the video, she's very pretty. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, wow, yeah, she definitely owns the song and leans into it big time. And yeah, I like it. I like it. Not bad at all, Alan. Yeah, I do like the Billie Eilish interpretation, but I can understand that it's not everybody's cup of tea, to use a good English phrase. Um, so, but I still think it's a very beautiful song. Um, so, yeah, I think this is totally this works. is a this is a good example of that. All right, for those of you who remember when we used to do a soundtrack episodes going back several months i did compile a, a playlist of the various cover versions that you can find on youtube and there'll be a, a link in the show notes as well as the bonus track itself there's what i felt was a really nice vocal only version by billy eilish um there's a couple of rocking versions on there some lounge singer versions some orchestrals a good guitar solo spanish guitar solo which i know jared would probably like mm-hmm. um, and a piano version that was actually shot the video for was actually shot at the no time to die movie location at Patera where they actually put a grand piano in the spot where the DB5 was and did a, a nice piano version. Oh. So that's pretty cool. Unfortunately for the regular listeners, it doesn't appear that this song is yet on the Lithuanian talent show circuit because I couldn't oh. find any Lithuanian <laughs> versions from X Factor, The Voice, or whatever. They... This is horse <laughs> <laughs> I did find a Norwegian one. All right. I mean, come yeah, on, yeah. Lithuania. Get your game back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we'll put the link to the playlist in the show notes as usual. Oh, I'm looking forward to listening to that playlist. Sounds like you came up with some interesting, interesting stuff. And that's going to bring us to the wind down on this episode of Bond Music 6 of the Best. If you've got a question or comment, you can email us at ohmspod at outlook.com or comment on Twitter at ohmspod. And if you haven't already, uh, how about you subscribe to Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast? I mean, you get this, you get the Rogue Agents, you get you know, whatever Alan and Van do next. There's a, who knows? It's a hodgepodge of 007 goodness around these parts. And if you like to chat with us personally on social media, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all Yard Sale Artist. And if you're interested in checking out my artwares, of which there is some James Bond stuff, www.theyardsaleartist.com will get you there. Alan, pimp yourself, sir. Bond stuff, you can find me on Twitter at Bond Lexicon, and you can go to our website, uh, jamesbondlexicon.online, which is the companion website to our book, The James Bond Lexicon, which you can actually find at all good online booksellers. If you have purchased said book since its release in April, first off, thank you very much. We really appreciate that. And we would love it if you would leave a rating or a review on Amazon. That's pretty much it. You can find us on Twitter at Bond Lexicon and also on Tumblr and Instagram at James Bond Lexicon. And as always, we'll now pass the baton to our White Rocket founder and OHMS pod co-host Van Allen Plexico to thank our generous patrons who support all of our White Rocket endeavors. Here are the folks that have joined up so far. They include Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, and Patrick Hayes and Samuel Salvatore. You guys are awesome, and, and ladies, and all you folks. Uh, I believe those are all guys. Allison Rich, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, a.k.a. AU Fan at KSC, 
JJP Geese. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that phonetic spelling. <laughs> Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil M. Thoris, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden. He's a dark horse for the Heisman. And Kangian. Hey, you falling up. Ben Bloodworth, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby. I need Amanda Hug and Kiss. Yep, that's one of them. George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan. There goes Davis, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, who's currently behind me, Brandon Smith. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, we had to reshuffle that. Let me do it over again. Uh, Boris the Tiger, Brandon the Smith, Cato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. Brandon, we got to get you on the V bandwagon now since you've kind of popped in between Boris and Cato. Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, no, seriously, Die Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan. By the way, that reminds me, I've mailed out quite a few of the posters the last couple of weeks, too. We did a nice business of those Auburn posters that I had printed up based on the covers of We Believe. So I'll have some of those at Dragon Con at my table, too. If you want to pick up these really nice posters of, the, uh, of basically the last 40 years of Auburn football. Uh, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snow Dog. <sighs> this is the year Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. He's focused. He's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, we taught Van how to say Puggies. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. Alex Nguyen, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Rigas, Bill Miner, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, Daniel Barnett, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Elizabeth Donald, Ice Cream Clone. And finally, James Taylor, Jason, the Weasel Scholarbrick, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Michael Halbrook, Mick Vigicana, Mustangs smoke Camaros every day. Paul Bankson, public land owner. Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky. Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson. Why am I even here? John Ringer has all the talent and carries this show. Brent Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time anonymous and smart Alec donors. Thanks for joining us for this episode. This episode's tracks are from the... 2021 No Time to Die CD and vinyl albums, but not the gold one. As always, we'd like to remind you to legally purchase your Bond music via official download channels or via CD or vinyl. Please support the Bond creative community. And we will be back with six of the best as we return with Alan's next spinoff selection, Not From Where I'm Standing. I'm not familiar with it. Looking forward to it, and we'll see you then. You will be. You will be. On the dime in the world, diamond up for life to unfold all the precious things 
love has in store We have all the love in the world If that's all we have You will find we need nothing more Um, it's depressing that Tom Cruise is pressing 60 and he's still amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I have a hard time getting off the sofa at that age. Never mind. I'm 45. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's 48 times more amazing than I am. It's, a, it's yeah. incredible. In fact, in the UK, excuse me a second. <laughs> Anybody want a cat? <laughs> 